Welcome to Our Tribe, the podcast that sits down with Jewish professionals and entrepreneurs to hear their stories, share their advice, and bear their Jewish souls. Now here's your host, Rabbi Tovia Kopsty. Hey, 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 welcome back to Our Tribe, the podcast. My name is Tuvia Kopstein, and I will be your host today. In this episode, we get to meet Rachel Lebovitz. Rachel is an EOS implementer. Do you know what that is? I didn't, which is what I think makes this interview so interesting, because when somebody is totally ignorant as to what their guest does, then you really hear about what that thing is from top to bottom. So I hope you appreciate my ignorance. And, and I'll give you a little, a little teaser that EOS is this business implementation system where troubled businesses that are not flourishing the way they can be are analyzed and held and, and the employees and this, and the leadership is held accountable for the change that needs to happen. It's been worked out. It's been, it's 25 years old. Apparently it's saving a lot of businesses and turning them around. And Rachel has a great perspective coming of her, of her entrepreneurial roots and what it takes to be an entrepreneur and, and what be growing up in her Hasidic community has helped her, how it's helped her. And you're going to love this episode with Rachel Levowitz. But before we start, I must say that the podcast fellowship is the engine behind our tribe, the podcast, the podcast fellowship you can learn about at podcastfellowship.org. It's an international Jewish outreach nonprofit where we're helping Jewish students and young professionals from all over the world encounter their Jewish heritage, understand it, grapple with it, tackle it, discuss it, and earn a generous stipend while they do this weekly program. Check it out. Without further ado, Rachel Lebovitz and Our Tribe, the podcast. Okay, we are thrilled to be back here, and this time with Rachel Lebowitz. How are you doing today, Rachel? I'm awesome. Thank you so much for having me here. Yes, it's a pleasure. Okay, now, Rachel, tell us, before we start and get into your whole story, what is it that you do professionally? I am a EOS implementer. I know it sounds gibberish, but EOS stands for the Entrepreneurial Operating System. And what we do is when we work with leadership teams, so owners and their leadership teams, is that we help them get three things, and that is vision, traction, and healthy. We help them get on the same page about where they're going in their business and how they're going to get there. We help them create accountability and discipline throughout their organization. So wherever they go, people are executing on their vision. Let's say you have a restaurant, right? The people in the front understand what the vision of the company is. They understand how to execute on it. And the people in the back understand the vision and how to execute on it. And lastly, we help business owners and their leadership teams create open, honest, cohesive environments. So everybody works for the greater good of their business. People don't realize that they spend just as much time at work than at home. And you need to have those same interpersonal skills in the workplace of trust, open, honesty, communication as you need at home. So that is what I do. Wow. Okay. So I have tons of questions about that and uh, we'll, we'll get to those. But let's let's talk about if you can take us very slowly through your whole story. Let's start, let's start from the beginning. Don't assume that we know anything. Let's let's just how did you get to where you're doing to what you're doing today? Oh wow, that's a I don't know if an hour is enough. Okay, we'll make it short. <laughs> um, so I grew up in Muncie, birthed from ultra orthodox community, mm-hmm. Hasidic, 
actually. So the community, yeah. Yeah. So I went to school and I was always very inquisitive, but my parents, I come from a line of entrepreneurs. So my grandmother, both of my grandmothers owned businesses. My mother's mother had a shoe store in New Square and my father's mother had a school supply store in Williamsburg. And I love to debunk this myth that people think that a generation ago or two generations ago, females in our community didn't work, which is absolutely not true. You go out on Bar Park on 13th Avenue, one of the main streets, and you read the signage in all the stores, like 50% are female names. And and the same thing in, in, in Williamsburg. So there's a lot of strong females in our community. They maybe weren't front and center in media, but all of us know one woman or another that was a entrepreneur, but I come from double. Okay. So <laughs> my, my mother actually, I just recently saw a picture in my parents' house of my mother in our dining room closet. Uh, she turned that closet into a store. So there were school supplies there. My father was, you know, learning and, and, doing his thing. And my mother was selling school supplies out of our dining room. Then it evolved and it became a whole business. And I grew up in that business. So I knew how to serve customers from when I was a very young age. And every day after school, I would go help my parents in their business. I knew how to take inventory. I knew how to balance ledgers. But most importantly, I punched a time card. My father was like, you're going to punch a time card. So when I was like maybe 10, I started punching a time card. By the time I was 12, I asked for a raise. I told my father $5 an hour is not going to cut it. And I said, I need six. What, you were, your ex- wait, what were your expenses then when you were 10 years old? You know, uh, Were you looking think- at the future? You're thinking I have to save up for uh, my future family? Or what were you thinking? I got to get a No, I, I, think, I think I was thinking about my self-worth. I, I wasn't thinking about expenses. Uh-huh. I was thinking like, you know, if I have to work here, I'm worth more. I'm doing a great job. I'm organizing all the books on the shelf. I, okay. I kind of am worth more. <laughs> okay. Very good. So, so then when I was around 15, 16, I, I was fascinated by e-commerce and I convinced my, my brother and my father that we should move and try to see if we could sell on Amazon and create our own website. So I love the e-commerce platform. I, helped my parents build the website. It helped us build the Amazon side of it. Um, but then when I got, and, and most importantly, what was fascinating to me was watching how people acted very differently in a business setting versus in a home setting and watching how employees acted very differently when the boss was around versus when he wasn't. I was a little girl just watching and people didn't realize that I was watching how their behaviors changed when the boss was there or not. And that's when I was fascinated by this idea of business psychology. And I, I told my parents that I want to go to, like I always said, I love psychology, but I don't want to deal with people's personal problems. I want to be a business psychologist. And I have this note that from when I was 17, where I researched all type of degrees. And I said, I'm going to be an industrial organizational psychologist. I was barely able to pronounce it, but I walked around everywhere telling everybody one day, I'm going to be an industrial organizational psychologist. Um, so when I was 17, because I grew up in uh, ultra-Orthodox community, we didn't get official diplomas. And most people in my community don't go to college. Although, a few of my siblings did. So I got, I convinced my father to let me go get a GED. I convinced my sister to come along with me because I was a minor and I 
didn't want to go myself. I got a GD. I scored very high. I got myself into Empire State College because it was long distance learning. And as an Orthodox Jewish girl, I didn't want to sit in a, you know, secular environment. My parents didn't want it. It wasn't, you know, so I did long distance learning and I learned a lot about business behavioral science, marketing, business management. Um, it was very fascinating. And so I moved on to work in different places in e-commerce, but my eyes were always open to how um, business consultants came into businesses and how some of the most awesome, amazing business owners would fall apart and have like this wool pulled over their eyes when a business consultant said to do something and they would just go with that. And and sometimes it really damaged the business. And and it reaffirmed that what I want to do is I want to help business owners understand themselves and give them tools on how they can become their very best and learn the science part of business. Because business is an art and a science. The art is what you you bring your personal uh, discovery or or product or service to the market, the way you do it, your value proposition. The science of business is the same across any business. Every business has sales and marketing, operations, finance, HR, employees, you know, attitudes, right? And if we learn the science of business, then you can replicate this formula in any organization and you will succeed. So fast forward, 2015, my husband and I bought a flexible packaging company. We print bags for potato chip bags, bread bags, companies like Lace Potato Chip, Jelly Belly, Pillow Bags, all all that kind of stuff, really fun stuff. And we bought it in 2015. We were really doing well. And, And my husband is super talented, and I think that you should be interviewing him, not me. What was his, in the bag, in the flexible bag industry, what was his role? So he worked, he ran somebody else's business for many years. He is obsessed with flexible packaging. I always say that it's his first love. I come second. And um, he, so in 2015, we bought off a company that prints flexible bags. Uh Um, We were doing very well. So he was like the C, he was the CEO and you were, you were also the CEO. So he was CEO. (laughs) I was just doing many things without a title. Okay. And, and, and I'm, I'm working through that now, you know, like meaning how, how spouses in, 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 in businesses, if, if it's damaging or not, and, and the roles and, and the consequences of, of doing many things without a title. It's, it's part of my journey. Okay. Um, yeah, maybe I'll write a book about it at one point. So it sounds like a book that hasn't been written yet, really. Yeah. Right. It's in the works. It's in the works. Okay. So, okay, so you bought the flexible packaging company and you were, go ahead, go ahead. We're doing very well, but he, at, at one point in 2018, we were overwhelmed, exhausted. He was almost never home. Business was about, is about 70 miles away from where we live. Whoa. And he, he literally was home for the weekends and it was just very hard and the profit wasn't there. It's like revenue is high, profit's not there. And I'll, I'll never forget that summer we went away to the Catskills and I, I was talking to a friend, I was telling her that. This is a real struggle for us. It says, have you heard of, of book traction? Have you heard of the entrepreneurial operating system? And I said, no. So she handed me a book and I read the book and I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. I came to my husband and I said, we got to do this. It's either this or we're selling or, or we're divorcing. I don't know. You know, so. <laughs> you were just joking. 
<laughs> so I, I read the book and, and we got really excited and we hired somebody that imp- helped us implement EOS in our company. Mm-hmm. And we went from 30 employees to 100 employees and we 3X'd in revenue from 2018 till to date, you know. Um, back in 2018, I really wanted to do it and become certified, but our life was way too chaotic for me to do it. And about a year and a half ago, my husband came back and and said to me, you know, this is what you always wanted to do. This is kind of industrial psychology because I was in and out of college over the years, never mm-hmm. finished my degree fully. Um, and he was like, this is really what you meant when you said industrial psychology, because it's understanding human energy in the business and how it flows and how you get everybody to align. So you get all the energy moving in the same direction and you get more done. And I, and, and what I tell people is that it's, it's super amazing that we grew our business, but most importantly, we got our life back. By running our business on EOS, our personal life changed and we adapted a lot of these principles into our home and we became more grounded and we became more aligned as a family and that allowed for my husband to say, yes, I can commit to be home with the kids on days that you need to go out early. And we can have this flexibility in our life where I have to be full day sessions with business owners and their leadership teams. And sometimes he has to take over, etc. And that is the beauty of what I do because I help people build their business and get their life back. Wow. So let me understand the industrial business psychology that you were you, know, you understood you thought you were going for. What what is that? Was it do, do businesses do large businesses hire industrial psychologists to be on staff to help people deal with their issues or or to help the business deal with the psychological psychological issues? So there's a few parts to it. Some some of it is a minor part in HR, not such a minor part, but there are biz, big corporations that have kind of a psychologist on board, mm-hmm. but. The, the part of industrial psychology that I was looking into is that banks usually, when they're doing big deals, they'll have a, a person sitting there and just observing and observing the person and their behaviors. And they can tell through these behaviors a lot of things of how, you know, if this person is reliable, if they will come through, if they are the right person for this deal. Mm-hmm. The same thing. Industrial organizational psychology is understanding the psychology within the workplace. Why do some employees disengage, right? Why do they, um, why do some employees sabotage or, or go against the grain of a business? What is the idea of culture? How do you fit in? Why would an employee not fit in? Mm-hmm. You know, all, all those things. So they're understanding it to help the, to, to help that business, the understanding just to, to, to write studies on business and to, to make theories on business in order to teach them in universities. <laughs> so my, my plan was to actually work in businesses, but yeah. using the psychology of business to help businesses better understand themselves uh-huh. so they can become more cohesive. Yeah. I mean, so that, that's what, that's what the plan was when you were, when you were in college. Okay. Now, what is, is EOS, is that, is that a system that somebody came up with based on industrial studies, industrial psychology studies, or it's, it's, it's a patented system? What, what is it? So that's a very good question. Gina Wickman 
is the founder of EOS and he worked for his parents' business and he helped them turn it around. It was in dire need of a turnaround. He turned it around. He discovered that he loves just like this concept of turning around businesses and he was one of the first few men, members of the EO Detroit's chapter. Um, I spoke to Gino personally and I asked him, how did he come up with this thing? And he said, this is not, this wasn't no theory. This was no studies. This was actually actively helping thousands of businesses. And the way he described it is that he pulled the levers. And when he pulled the levers and people's faces smiled, then he knew that it was working. So he wrote it down and he did it again. And it was, it was just active hands on trial and error that got him to create this system. This system is about 25 years old and it has been perfected to the degree that at the moment there are about 600 implementers that do the work that I do that have run about 130,000 full day sessions with about 16,000 companies so whatever we do is tried and proven there's no theory and it's all been proven but I must add a caveat that there's no magic bullets here Whatever Gino Wickman discovered, and he says it, and all of us implementers say it, is tools that have been around for a long time, that have been around for hundreds of years. And we credit people all the time in our work, Stephen Covey, Jim Cubby, um, Patrick Lincioni. It's just very well put together in an organized system. So it's this cohesive holistic system on how to approach your business. Sometimes business owners call me with a specific problem. They say, oh, I have a marketing problem or I have a, you know, accountability problem. And they want to just pick out one tool to help their business. But when we continue the discussion, what I get them to realize is that it all works in tandem. If you people aren't in the same page with their vision, then they won't be accountable or you can't hold them accountable. You can't give people KPIs if they don't understand what their KPIs are doing, right? Looking at KPIs in a, in silos is dangerous because it creates toxic overachieving employees. So you, if you don't define your culture in your business of what the right person looks like for your business and you have to give that right person the right seat, then give them the right KPIs, which we call measurables, then it's a very healthy environment. But if you take the wrong person that doesn't value the things that you value in your business, your core values, so that's kind of like oftentimes a toxic employee, and then you put them into the right seat. They're doing, they're, they're, they're accelerating. They're doing great in their sales seat, but they don't appreciate the values. And then you give them measurables. You give them KPIs. They become terrorists, right? And it's very hard to, to get, you know, rid of your highest achiever. So this is about working in everything together as a holistic system mm-hmm. to get you vision traction and healthy. So is is EOS? You said that Gino Whitman is. Does he have a patent on it? And then people, businesses that want to implement the system, they have to pay him for the license uh, for the usage of the system. So it's a franchise. I own a franchise, and there are okay. six hundred something franchisees. Yeah. But you're more than welcome to read the book, track it, traction, traction, and try to implement it yourself. There are many businesses that self-implement. Uh-huh. And then at one point they hit a ceiling and then they reach out to an implementer. You can go online and there's a ton of free tools and you can also so- sign up to self implement using the website 
Basecamp. So you, there's a lot of information over there. You pay a monthly fee and you can do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. So <laughs> the question, next question is the, you talked about how, how working as an, an EOS implementer will help companies also will help the people, the, the personnel of the companies with their entire lives, not just with their work lives, but also their home lives. Can you, can you talk about that a little bit? I mean, are you teaching these people how to, how to, I mean, how, how does that work? How, how do you, how do you get it to, to translate? So, so it works by accident. I'm joking, but like it, it, it happens because when you, what I realized through my life and my work and working with companies is that visionaries who are owners of organizations usually can be defined at high level people. They're all the way on the top. They're sporadic. They're spontaneous. They may be called as having ADD. I don't know. Right. Some people say that. And the challenge for these people is to ground themselves. So what Gino found is that every great organization has something called an integrator. The integrator is usually defined as the COO of the company. And that's like the perfect puzzle piece of creating this relationship where the visionary brings all these ideas and the integrator synthesizes them. They filter it out. They see what's good, what's not good, and they create the milestones to implement these ideas. For example, you know, the owner decides our sales team has outgrown our CRM or we never had a CRM. We were working on Excel files, right? And they are like, oh my gosh, this is a great idea. We should do Salesforce, right? But as as a visionary myself, I understand that detail-oriented work kills me. I work on emotion. I work on, I get bored very fast. So I start off a project. I'll start putting it together. But at one point, I run out of excitement. That's where the integrator comes in because they take that project all the way to the end. They're high follow throughs. So in businesses that there is no integrator or that the visionary is caught in the integrator seat, you will see a lot of 90-day spikes because the visionary starts an idea, gets the whole organization excited because that's their strength. Visionaries are big relationship people. They're very good at convincing people. You know, they can convince you that the sky is green, like they really can. And they get all the people to rally behind their idea and then suddenly about like at 75 days in they're bored they're on to the next thing you have the next idea and you leave this whole trail of employees like seething like everybody's like oh my gosh i thought we're finishing this right so if you have an integrator they ground the company and they ground the visionary to focus on this is what we're doing. This is the step. So EOS in itself is created in a way where it grounds people because we work with priorities and you have to choose between three to five things that you're going to prioritize over the next 90 days. And if it doesn't, if it's more than three or five, we're putting it on an issues list. I say the issues list is the most therapeutic thing ever because it's that list of ideas and things that you don't know when you're going to get done, but we're leaving it that front and center to come back to every 90 days and say, it's now a good time. And if it's a good time, we take it off that list. We make it a priority. So whenever I find myself spread thin, and I have to choose which ball to drop, I come back to my priorities and I say, what are my priorities for the next 90 days? Okay, it's getting three new clients. It's writing two chapters of um, 
my book. So if I want to do a workshop and that's not my number one priority, that will be the ball to drop first. So it really grounds business owners. And therefore, it grounds people in their home life because they learn these skills of choosing priorities, right? If, if Passover is coming and you also want to go on a trip and you also want to take your kids on a trip and you also want to, you know, renovate your house, you kind of got to start thinking in 90 day in- increments of what I got to do for the next 90 days. Oh, I can't fit all that in. Okay. I'm going to put it on the list for later. Wow. Okay. So how do you find new clients? By talking to people, connecting with people, um, I only talk to people that are frustrated about their businesses. If you have everything smooth sailing, please do not call me because you will not find the value in this. Are you the EOS implementer for your husband's flexible packaging business? No, I don't think that would go well. Okay. <laughs> are you still involved with the managing of that business? You're totally a, a free agent working with the, the companies that hire you to be implementer. So the first thing that we do as EOS implementers, and don't forget, I wasn't certified yet when we hired somebody to do it for us. Okay. So back in 2018, we hired Ben Berman. That is the number one implementer. I, I, you can look him up and he, he, the first thing that we do is we say, okay, we're going to create this accountability chart and we got to decide that's like an org chart on steroids because it's accountability. What are you accountable for? And then we put people into the seat. So the question was, what am I accountable for? And at that point, being a mom of two little kids, I didn't want to be accountable for anything. So I got myself out of the organizational chart and I've never been in any f- official capacity since then or before then I've done social marketing and design and things here and there, but knowing that if you do something for a business, you have to pick a seat. You got to be accountable for it and you got to follow through makes people think twice when they say yes to things. And that makes it almost so much stronger, the accountability part. And the same thing is, you know, we ended up filtering that discussion into our house, right? We sat down and we were like, okay, what are you accountable for? What am I accountable for? And Eventually, when my kids get older, they're going to have more accountabilities. Right now, they're just accountable, you know, to, to take off their plates and maybe put their pajamas in the hamper. But it's it's a discipline that I'm so passionate about because it creates it, – it gets rid of so much murkiness and, and conflict. Yeah, beautiful. Would you say you get um, – how can you tell when somebody is – the people is is running a business that's distressed are you are people referring their the, their frustrations they eventually get you know i know rachel rachel does rachel does this is that how it, is that how it works by now that that that's the most ideal way uh-huh. um so best referrals come from current clients or from friends or people that know me but i would say the frustrations that people deal with that usually look for EOS are people that feel like their business is running them. They're not running the business. They feel like it's out of control. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you start a business, you think, oh, I'm going to work for myself because I don't want to answer to anybody. I want to do this better. And I don't want to, you know, be, you know, bound to a system. And before you know it, somewhere between year one and two, you find yourself 
buried under a load of work and the business is running you, your customers are calling, they're demanding, you're up late hours, you're just, you know, it, it becomes this unhinged thing. And that's when people feel like they don't have control of their business. And that's when they look out for somebody that can help them gain back control. The second reason people look for U.S. is because they're frustrated with their people and internally and externally. You know, you have a whole bunch of employees, you give them work, but somehow all the work ends up back on your desk. People are not following through. There is politics. There is conflict. Um, you know, and, and sometimes it's your, your, your customers or your wholesalers and they're, they're just being, you know, not being on time, not answering. You feel like you're pushing this wagon up the hill, right? So that's the other frustration. Sometimes it's profit and by profit, I mean not enough, right? Who doesn't want more profit? Sometimes your revenue is so high and your profit isn't there and you can't figure out why. And sometimes you feel like you've just hit a ceiling. You know, COVID was a big ceiling for many industries. Right now we're going through a real estate crisis. And actually there are many real estate companies that are reaching out to U.S. implementers because what they realized is that if they want to survive, they need to figure out how to get lean. And the way to do that is we're creating the ship and we're only going to bring the best of the best, the people that fit our culture, they're the right people. It's a great opportunity when, when you're hitting a low in the economy, it's a great opportunity to find out who are your people, who's going to stick out till the end, right? Mm-hmm. So, so a lot of, you know, real estate industries are going through this now. And the last one is when you've tried everything and nothing is working and you're becoming like a flavor of the month kind of boss, you know, and at one point your employees are like, nah, this one is not going to last. And, and the answer why this is different and I have to put it in there is because when, when an employee sees a owner going to a conference and, and getting inspired, right? And then they come back and they're like, oh, we're going to try this system. The problem is that there isn't anybody to hold the entrepreneur, the owner accountable. And EOS is a system where I hold the entrepreneur accountable. Mm-hmm. The owner gets a seat on the accountability chart just like any employee, and they can be fired. They can be put in the owner's box. They don't have to be involved in the day-to-day business of the company. And they have their own roles and responsibility as an employee within the business. And that this is what we teach entrepreneurs. And it's so important because sometimes, you know, entrepreneurs are their own bottlenecks within their company and they don't realize. And they go to all these seminars and they get inspired and they create the chaos. And and the employees are like, oh, this is not going to work. Well, the reason it doesn't work is because there's nobody out there holding the owner accountable. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us without revealing any private details about people's businesses, a, 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 situa- a, a story, a situation where you were able to help a business with a problem using EOS? So some businesses, it, it's like within the first 90 days, they see huge difference. And sometimes it takes a little longer. But one of my businesses, she, the business owner was just having a hard time getting more sales. And we had the right people, great team. Uh, we got them aligned on the vision. We figured out who the integrator is. She said she had to-dos on her to-do list that were there for eight years and they never got done. The minute she realized that she is not a follow-through person, she's a visionary, she's not an integrator, and she handed over these 
to-dos to her integrator, it freed her up to go out there and get more sales. But most importantly is we started tracking her activity. So when we track data, we track actionable data, activity. How many phone calls did you make? How many proposals did you send? How many proposals got closed, right? So then we started seeing this ratio, how she's sending 15 proposals and only closing three. And we started, we call it IDSing, but we identify the root cause of this issue. We discuss it briefly and then we solve it. We create a to-do or an action item around it. And what she realized was that her pricing was off. So she changed her pricing and in the last quarter, she, she, She's grown her business with 25%. Beautiful. Okay. Awesome. What qualities did you take from growing up in the Hasidic community in, in New York uh, and bring into what you do nowadays? What, what, how do you think that, and specifically, how do you think that growing up in the, in the family you grew up in and the community you grew up in is helpful for you in what you do professionally? So... There's a lot I can say about this, and I tend to be a controversial person. I don't mind. So (laughs) (laughs) Um, when people tell me, oh, you grew up in a Hasidic community and that prevents you from getting an education, I I don't believe so. I believe if somebody is a smart person, they will succeed wherever they go, even more so. I've done a lot of research, and I've looked, and and I'm actively doing a lot of research into the genetic makeup of, of an entrepreneur. I'm very intrigued about how entrepreneurs act very differently than people that have corporate jobs and nine to five jobs. And it comes down to genetics. And if you realize people from the Hasidic community are mostly um, immigrants. Now, what what's the decision of somebody to flee a country versus stay, right? You need to have that risk-taking. You need to have that drive. Like, I admire all these people that are trying to get through our southern border because it takes a certain risk. You got, you're risking your life. So what I realized is that as a community, we have this concentration of risk-taking, of drive, of passion. So our community is explosive, with with entrepreneurs because you don't really need to be that educated to be an entrepreneur you just have to have a vision and you have to have charisma to get people to believe your story and get them on board that's all you need and i think we're really good at that Mm -hmm. and then you find the right people to help you execute your vision and you'll you'll look back to the history of entrepreneurships the greatest entrepreneurs in our country we're, we're college dropouts, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so I think the the strength that I have is that I, I just have this drive. I know that my grandmother did it, and I can do it. And I have chutzpah. I don't take no for an answer. You have a chutzpah enough to tell a, a CEO that he's uh, he's only an employee now. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you you got to be able to do that. Right. Yeah. Did you ever hear pushback where a CEO is, uh, he's, he's the big boss or she's the big boss and you tell them that, uh, you know, you're doing everything wrong and, and they, they, do they, uh, take that well? So I've had an employee tell his people in front of me, um, you can say whatever you want, but don't forget who pays you. Okay. Well, and that, you know, that guy had to humble himself a little bit over the next few months if he still wanted to keep his business because it doesn't end well for people like like that because they 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 don't see themselves and then they don't 
get the people's passion that they need in order to create that company that they need. You need your people, but you don't want just bodies. You want people that understand and are passionate about what you do, right? Um, I usually don't get much pushback when I am open and honest to entrepreneurs because the qualification for being my client is that you have to be open and honest and willing to change. You got to be coachable. So I talk to plenty of entrepreneurs and when they tell me I don't have any issues and then I talk to their employees and their employees give me a whole list of issues and then they say, (laughs) but I don't care. I'm like, so I can't help you and I don't help them. Very good. You have to know who who accepts the clients, you're saying. Right. A, A teachable person. 100%. 100%. Open, open to learning, open to change. Is there, do you ever feel a, um, do you ever feel, have to deal with anti-Semitism or, or just other, otherwise anti, um, anti-Rachel, uh, <laughs> or whatever you, whatever you represent, whatever you're bringing to the table, um, in, in your professional life? I think not. I think most of it is all in my head. Um, okay. I, I go to very diverse places and I was once part of, you know, went to this conference and I was part of this exercise where this woman was doing this exercise that she was throwing a ball and it had something on it and you had to say a story about it. And I spoke about being discriminated, walking on the streets of New York City. It happens every day. And there was an Egyptian woman that got up and she said how she gets discriminated and a black person got up and said how they get discriminated against. But I realized that in a healthy business environment, there's so much love and acceptance. And if I, you know, I sometimes have this, my own head trash about being a mother and a wife and can I be there hundred percent for my clients? And, and I realized that that's my strength. That's why people, look out for me because I bring that nurture. I bring that understanding of what it takes to run a family and a business. So I don't find that in the business environment. I found it way more in college and way more in just walking down the streets of New York City. Mm-hmm. I think educated people are are way more open-minded. You mean educated people, not the ones in the university, but the, the people. No, I the think like people. I should change that. <laughs> I would say that street minded people, street, you know, entrepreneurs are, are street minded, educated, right? Real life experience. There you go. Kind of education. I get it. Okay. Very good. Okay. Now here's a, a different twist. Uh, here we have an, our, our target, our, our core audience target audience for this podcast is Jewish kids coming from all different backgrounds, some with very little or no Jewish education, some with, with, with minimal or more, you know, more extensive, but they're all coming and they're, and they're, they're encountering this, this, this new world sort of, of the observant Jew and and what they believe and what they do and what they're like. So here's, here's Rachel and you're, and you have this, you're running a family, you grew up in a Hasidic community, your husband's Hasidic. Um, and, and, and all, and your friends that you, that you grew up with and you're bringing that into the professional world. And, but, but let's, let me ask like this. I think I was just speaking way too much. What message would you like to give if you, if people would, if you would get up in front, in front of an audience, which you sort of are, although it's just you and me right now, but it's who knows how many how thousands of people will hear this eventually. If you want to say a message as a Jewish person to the, just this young generation of Jews, about what it means to be Jewish, 
why you should why you should learn about it. What would you say? So I'm I'm not going to give a message. I'm going to talk about what what I discovered through my entrepreneurial journey. And what I got to appreciate more, because like if you're born into religion, right, it's hard to appreciate it from a perspective because it's it's a given. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when you take a step back, you're like, oh, wow, I love this. Right. So the thing that I got to appreciate most since I've been doing this thing as being an EOS implementer is Shabbos. It's like a forced day of rest. And in EOS, in the community, we talk about taking a clarity break. And it's kind of a requirement as an implementer to take one day a week and sit with your thoughts and just either write. A whole day? No, everybody does in whatever increments they want, right? But for me, Shabbos is my clarity break. And I love not having technology. And I... Um, and I also love not being able to write. You know why? Because I, I think in writing and I think in poetry and I have to sit on the couch and rehearse it and remember, and remember it so many times that I shouldn't forget it by the time Shabbos is over. It becomes ingrained in my heart and Matzah Shabbos, Saturday night is my best writing time. It just comes out. And I, I got to appreciate that so much more since I've gotten so busy because I don't get any time to just sit with myself to reflect on my week, on my life, on my relationships, and what do I love to do, what bothers me, how, what am I, what can I improve with my relationship with my family and my kids, that that feels more and more like a gift for me. But even more so, what it shows you is that everything that's out there is already in the Torah, like the idea of a clarity break or the idea of having a mission. We talk about mission, purpose, and values. It all already exists within the Torah. And it's, it's just so beautiful to, to feel like the work that I do is spiritual, you know? So, um, what my message is. I think you said it. See- yeah, I think I said it. <laughs> it's, it's to seek ways of bringing spirituality in everything that you do. Because it's there. Are you finding a great satisfaction when you're able to help a business start to function and and get over their their bottlenecks and and, and even help the people with their family lives? Do people people come back to you and say, you know, I I learned this about myself and now it changed my relationship with my spouse, with my kids? Do you ever hear that? Absolutely. And I I was that person Uh four years ago, right? And now I'm just sharing that gift with other people. That is my goal. I'm hoping to impact businesses so I can impact families, right? For every business that I impact, I impact multiple families. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Okay. Is there anything I should have asked that I didn't ask yet? I'm sure we can go in many, many directions, but I want to make sure anything you hope to say that... uh... Yeah, you know, since we're talking to college kids that I'm sure are interested in entrepreneurship, right? That's, that's what they're thinking about. Um, Gino Wickman is, you know, he worked this whole system of EOS about for the business owner, but then he said, what if we can help those people before they become business owners to help Mm -hmm. them discover if they're an entrepreneur and what it takes to be an entrepreneur? And I'm very passionate about that work that he did and continues doing. And they're partnering with colleges and I wish they would do that more is in discovering if you have what it takes to be an entrepreneur because entrepreneurship is a spectrum you know being a franchise owner zero employees is one side of the spectrum and then being an owner of a 250 
person business is the other side of the spectrum. And then there is everything in between. But there is very distinct characteristics that it takes to be an entrepreneur. So before you decide to jump in, find out if you have what it takes to be an entrepreneur. Because if you know, if you only have what it takes to be 20% entrepreneur and then you push yourself to 48%, it's a very painful spot to be in. But also, if you have what it takes to be an entrepreneur, then please go out there and get it and, and don't give up and know that you have that. Um, those, you know, he covers those characteristics in his book. It's mm-hmm. called Elite, The Entrepreneurial Leap. And there is an assessment that you can take online that talks, that lets you find out what your score is. And I'll share it with you and you can put it in the show notes when we're mm-hmm. done. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. That's that's amazing. So he's he's doing coursework with universities and 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 in certain select places so that people can take this sort of aptitude test test and understand themselves. Okay. Correct. I'm interested. I'm curious. I wonder if I'm an entrepreneur. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. think the the more you get to know yourself, um, then you're just better at everything that you do. Very good. Okay. Thank you so much for your time, Rachel, and for sharing your message. It was a fascinating world of EOS that I had no idea about, and I'm sure it'll open a lot of eyes, and we really appreciate this. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. You've just listened to another great episode of Our Tribe, the podcast, brought to you by the Podcast Fellowship and hosted by Rabbi Tovia Kopstein. Tune in each week, every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern time to hear more great episodes of Our Tribe, the podcast. If you have any suggestions or questions, email us at ourtribe at podcastfellowship.org. And don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to help the tribe thrive.